Hi, and welcome to the No IT Podcast. My name is Brian Brackett, and I am here with my co-host, Tino Hales. And today we've got a good one for you. Um, this is the place where you get to know IT so you can own IT. And today's episode, we are going to be covering and discussing a cybercrime and to kind of peel back the curtain on how these cyber crimes kind of happen, um, where they where they come from, um, and how they were executed. This one in particular is is super interesting to me uh, because I'm a big fan of the FIFA video game. I've been playing for years and years, and it's it's uh, I'm super excited to take you through it. First, I want to thank BTI Communications Group for being such a fantastic supporter of the podcast. So, Tino, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing good. It's uh, it's Friday, so thankful for that. We got Thanksgiving coming up at the uh, midweek next week, and oh yeah, I'm ready to eat some good food. Do you do turkey? Yeah, I mean we're we're big turkey turkey people for sure i'm not a turkey person i uh i do duck every year now duck and salmon dude that sounds amazing (laughs) it's great it's better than turkey (laughs) i am a big fan of duck um but really it's all i mean we all know it's all about the stuffing right yeah yeah you know i can have turkey any time of year but really it's only appropriate to have stuffing and, and those those rolls, those special bread rolls that only come out for Thanksgiving. I don't understand how they do that because we've tried at the house to replicate the Thanksgiving bread roll, you know, in June, <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't work yeah. out the same. Yeah. Um, yeah, those, those are key. But anyway, today we are going to be covering a topic that I knew as it came out, as it was developing. I it it piqued my interest because one, um, the FIFA video game is something that I've been playing for years and years and years. And, you know, it's a, the game is something that I've, I've been playing for years and years now. Um, And it's video game soccer, right? So you have players on the field that you're moving around and, you know, everybody's kind of familiar with, with the, uh, with the format, but it, to me, it's a lot like moving chess, um, is that, is, have you ever, have you played FIFA? Is that, you know, is, is that kind of in your wheelhouse? No, I've never played uh, FIFA. I do play video games from time to time. Um, and there's a couple like, like Madden and, and uh, NBA 2K. Uh, so I can imagine, you know, what it would be like to play FIFA. I've just never played it personally. Oh, right on. Okay. So it's, you know, it's basically moving chess, which is, it, it's also one of the most frustrating games to play, especially online, because people are so good at it that um, you get, it's very easily to get frustrated. I, I played the game for buddies of mine, and we've gotten to the point where I've never done this, but I've watched my friends do it multiple times where they will inject the game um, in frustration, walk out their door and throw it like a Frisbee or they will break it in half. Um, it, it gets pretty competitive and pretty intense. So when I saw this come across the, the newswire, um, partially because it's in our own backyard as well, um, the kid that wrote this, uh, this scheme um, is from Whittier, California. 
And that was part of kind of what caught my attention back in 2017 when this all started to kind of unfold. But basically, this is the let's let's dive into it. All right. So Anthony Clark, it was a kid who he was wicked smart. And, you know, his family was kind of uh, was described him as too smart for his own good. You know, you know, those types of kids and little intricacies, idiosyncrasies in his personality kind of tipped them off to the fact that someday he was going to be a really, really successful, smart, um, technical person, right? Things like instead of going, you know, when, when friends would come over and he would, they would be playing with toys or cars or whatever, Anthony would be sitting there instead of playing with the cars, he'd be building a ship in a bottle. Just random weird things that isn't, you know, isn't typical of a seven or eight year old kid. He was trying to figure out how to do. And so that kind of led him, let them know that he, he was, he was going to be somebody. And he, he grew up in a family that was kind of, they weren't wealthy, you know, they were a working class family that, you know, struggled to, to kind of keep afloat, just like a lot of Americans and a lot of people. And in middle school, he was, he was taking a basic computer course. And for whatever reason, that just lit his fire. And he became obsessed with computers, obsessed with figuring out how they worked, taking them apart, putting them back together, building them, programming, doing all of the different things that, you know, you do as a computer geek. It kind of led him to have a have a group like a group of people that he was able able to interact and connect with and socialize with because he was he was really involved in in especially through his high school years in the uh in the computer club and that kind of led him down down the path of of programming and he played video games the entire time he was you know just like every other every other kid in that regard but what really kind of tipped the, the scales on his life was this coding competition and it was interstate you know there was it wasn't just within his own his own school so he connected with four other people in various states like one was in Texas one was in Jersey but they had never actually met in person which you know is kind of kind of crazy when you're going to go into business with somebody and you've never actually met them in person. But um, <laughs> so are the how did he meet these people? He he got connected and oh, okay they, they met online in in forums, and they were all around the same age. You know, like the whole gamer forum type. Yeah, that makes sense. Setup, like Discord before Discord was a thing. And yeah, and. Uh, they decided to start working on this on this coding challenge and what they did was they they got a copy of fifa's source code and source code is is like the biggest piece of intellectual property when it comes to video game development because there's only a, a small handful of people that have that have access to the code and they're able to put it on their consoles and play the game but program you know different parts of the game as they're moving through it right so it's if you're if you're not a game developer you you're not sniffing this the source code unless you steal it somehow they got a copy of the source code and they started they started coding 
And what they did was they modified their Xbox or Anthony modified his Xbox in particular to run the source code. But when you have these consoles, they are, they're already packaged with security protocols so that it can recognize that you're, you're not a developer. So you don't have, you're not able to bypass things that they have in place to you know, lock down the user interface. And this is where that detail alone is the crux of this case. By modifying the, X, the Xbox, by having the source code, and by loading the source code onto the Xbox and doing their thing, essentially they stole intellectual property. EA was fine with that. EA is the, is the game developer that develops FIFA and Madden and most of the sports-based video games out there. And now a lot of the first-person shooters and a lot of the games that you, that you hear about today, but it came at a price because EA didn't pay attention. The way that FIFA works, it's mostly developed for online play. You get experience points based on different accolades, things, different points, different, um, what's the word that I'm looking for, Tino? Achievements? Um, yeah. During the game. Thank you. But it maxes out at 500 experience points a game. That's the maximum that you can get. And it's super hard to reach. Yeah, I'm assuming you have to play like a perfect game and do everything <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Everything right. And so it's really rare that you get a you get a 600-point game or a 500-point game. Now, what they did was they modified the Xbox so that the system ran in a, in a virtual environment to where they logged thousands of games a second and gave them experience points based on those games as if there was a user playing a perfect game every single time. Thousand games a second, you can imagine how many, how many experience points they built up. And what were they going to do with these experience points? So experience points have value within EA or within FIFA. Um, it's like a digital currency that EA expressly says has no monetary value whatsoever. It is just to unlock different different aspects of the game. So a really popular function of the game or a popular uh, part of the game is FIFA Ultimate Team. FIFA Ultimate Team is where you're able to build your own team. You're able to build your own jerseys and you're basically building a soccer club when you can use players from all over the world, right? So in theory, you would want like Lionel Messi and then you would want, you know, the best players in the world on your team. And then you could take that team online and play other people in tournaments and for rankings and things like that. But each player has a certain amount of, of uh, experience points or FIFA coins, right? So it's like a secondary okay, so you have to market. get to purchase to unlock the usability of that character exactly in some form versus you know either you've played the game you know non-stop 365 days a year you know to unlock all the players you want or you've spent real money to buy in-game currency that you can use to unlock these guys yeah more okay. more or less and fifa the game is it mimics the the popularity of soccer in every part every part of the world so Soccer here in the U.S. isn't necessarily the the be all end all sport, right? right so, right. so in in that way, FIFA the gameplay is isn't limited to the United States, but it's not as as popular as it is in say like Europe, for example. 
in Europe, it's super competitive. They have professional leagues where you, you play and there are sponsored players and teams just like a professional sports team, just like the Dodgers, just like the Cubs. They have players that they play there that they pay to play specific games. And FIFA is one of them, but Europe and China are the two biggest markets for, for this particular game. Oh, wow. And because of all of that, because of that competitiveness, it leads to black market for selling and exchanging these FIFA points. So you can kind of see where this is starting to go. Yeah. They took all of these FIFA points and EA was, was is able to track EA is able to track how many FIFA points you're accumulating. You know, if there's anything out of whack, then they're flagged and they're you know, made aware of it. And they will shut down your account if they see anything, anything un- abnormal. Abnormal. Thank you. Now, that's where the, it kind of led Clark to to think that it's it, what he was doing was okay. This went on for months and months and months, and EA didn't do anything about it. And because this, you know, cryptocurrency, and because the this whole concept of online non-physical physical currency he figured that he was doing something that was legal because there weren't laws written for it yet All right so to me i find it's really interesting how how he went about it because every step that he took once he figured out that he could monetize the experience points he his actions didn't indicate that he he thought he was doing anything wrong for example, the biggest piece of evidence that that suggests that is the fact that he hired a he hired a, a lawyer on retainer to advise him on the legalities of what he was doing. The lawyer was was telling him that you know there aren't any laws written, so technically you're not breaking any laws. And he went above board with it. He created a DBA. He filed taxes on a quarterly basis, just like you know, anybody else would run a legitimate business. That's what he was doing. Hmm. The only, the only thing was, is that he was working with people in Europe and China selling these points. They were then selling or exchanging Bitcoin for that. And then he was obviously converting the Bitcoin into, into us currency. Bob's your uncle. That's, that's the business. Wow. EA didn't have a problem with this. EA didn't ha- didn't stop it. EA didn't address it until it got to the point where he en- he ended up making sixteen million dollars in Bitcoin. Wow! Off of the experience points, and it was at that point that FIFA got involved. FIFA went to the FBI. The FBI investigated and. They indicted Anthony Clark and his four co-conspirators on wire fraud. Wire fraud? Wire fraud. Because they didn't have any other legal route to go after him with because there weren't any laws written on this yet. Well, where was the fraud? That's, 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 the whole, that's the whole thing of this entire case is where is the fraud? Because really what it comes down to is the fact that EA was mad that they, they lost $16 million or that somebody else made $16 million on their, their intellectual property when at every stage of the secondary market within the FIFA video game, the legal secondary market, so to speak, expressly says on screen, 
FIFA points and FIFA coins do not have any real world monetary value. So none of that, like it, it, that's why they had to go. They went that back door of, of wire fraud. And when any really big business goes after somebody and they're not, not totally sure it's always either tax fraud or wire fraud. They couldn't get the kid for tax fraud because he was doing, he was filing his taxes. Right. Now he had pretty solid evidence during, you know, in the indictment, it's a lot of legalese that kind of explains the entire, the entire process and, you know, explains the case that EA built against him as weak as it was. I wasn't able to obtain any of the motions or any of the trial documents and you'll, you'll understand why in, in a little bit, but it basically was built on a very feeble foundation for EA to go after this kid to begin with. The problem is, is that EA is such a big business. Well, and I'm sure there's other platforms who uh, have very similar structure to EA that also don't want that happening to them. Right. Absolutely. And so it was, it was quietly a landmark case, legitimately changed the direction of internet cybercrime. But what ends up happening is he, he builds this case for himself, plans on fighting the case. He's filing motions for acquittal. The motions for acquittal were, were really well thought out and explained. And I'm going to include the links to the documents that I do have for you guys. If you are, if you're interested in looking into this, you know, after this episode, but he basically had a pretty solid case to be acquitted. What ended up happening, which was super disappointing because as this, as I, I read about this kid, the more I loved him, like he, he wasn't the kind of kid that that you know, all of a sudden got super rich and was driving Lamborghinis down the Sunset Strip. He lived the same lifestyle that he lived before he made this money. The only difference was that he bought his mom a car. He bought his family a house and moved them into Uptown Whittier with, into a nicer house and bought himself a car. Not like a super over-the-top car. It was like a BMW or something not even like a top level BMW. It was just like a regular old BMW. And his friends, his co-conspirators, the most opulent thing that the kid owned when he made all this money, mind you, he made all this money as a 23, 24, 25 year old. Imagine being a 23, 24, 25 and having $16 million. Right. Oh my goodness. What would you do with it? I would have liked to have thought at this point in my life that I would have done something good with it, but the 24, who knows? Right. And, you know, this kid, and by all accounts, he, he did it all right. He set up the family trust, bought his parents a house, invested in that piece of real estate, bought his mom a car, bought himself a car. And the most opulent thing that he had, he didn't want, and he fought them on because his co-conspirators all bought him a Rolex. And that was, that was it. Like he had one Rolex that was like 25 grand that he didn't pay for wouldn't have ever paid for and wasn't even all that interested in. Kind well, of, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting, right? Like he's, he's just this normal kid. That's too smart for his own good. And then ends up finding himself wrapped up in a, you know, an unwinnable situation. Yeah. Anyway, the, as the trial kind of went on, he continued to file motions for acquittal and then motions to 
motions to you know push back dates because he was gathering more more evidence against himself and EA. And one of the more consistent things that I I saw from the documents that I could obtain was the fact that he he kept coming back to the fact that there weren't any any laws written and EA allowed this to go on for for like seven years. Let's say you, you don't accumulate uh sixteen million in in just a handful of months. You know, that that had to have been going on for a period of time. Yeah, especially to be under the radar about it too, because even anytime you have a windfall goes on to it hits the radar of the FBI and people really do take notice. It's just one of those it's just one of those things where every action that he took every step of the way indicated that he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just like this kid that happened to be good at something and hit gold. Anyway, as the the trial went on, there were four separate cases happening at one time, right? Because it was his case and his three other friends' cases. His case was the strongest because he was the ringleader of this whole thing. He initiated the that getting them involved in the coding challenge to begin with. And so everything kind of centered around him. When they realized that their case, when EA realized that their case wasn't um, wasn't as strong as the as it as it should be, they started going in on his co-conspirators. They were facing life sentences. The co-conspirators? All of them. Oh, wow. Yep. They threatened them all with life sentences and ultimately convinced the other three, other three guys to turn on him. And they all pled guilty and agreed to cooperate against Anthony. Wow. Yeah. So inevitably with zero evidence other than these three guys's three guys's words, Anthony Clark ends up getting convicted. He huh. was he was not surprised that he got convicted. He had plans to continue to fight his case from jail. He was preparing himself to go to jail. I mean, not like in the get hard kind of kind of way, like the Will Ferrell movie, but he was, <laughs> you know, he was getting his his um, his ducks in a row. The feds seized all of his assets, froze all of his bank accounts, took all of the trust, all the cars, the house, everything, and his family was kind of left standing there, like what the what the heck, you know? Yeah, um, really put them obviously in a in a super tough situation, but. Even through all of that, Anthony was super strong and resolute in the fact that he was going to continue to fight, that he was going to continue to to fight for his freedom and fight for the case law and the precedent that his case was going to set. So they scheduled a date for sentencing. And three days before sentencing, Anthony Clark is found dead in his home. What? What? <laughs> yep. Anthony Clark was found dead in his home by his cousin. Why? Well, the police came, obviously, and the detectives decided that it was it was suicide because there weren't there wasn't any obvious um there wasn't any obvious signs of foul play 
And they chalked it up to suicide due to the fact that he was depressed that he was going to jail and getting sentenced. Now the family, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so they didn't even uh, investigate. They just pushed it onto a suicide. As far, yeah. And as far as, as far as I could see, they didn't do an autopsy. Oh, wow. So they completely, they completely just chalked it up to, to suicide and went on with their day. Now, obviously the family has been like this, like there was no way that this kid committed suicide. Like he's not that kid. He wasn't in that frame of mind. He had plans to fight and he was, he was confident and strong willed in that fight. So there's, it just didn't, it doesn't make any sense how he would, he would end up dead. And the family is campaigning for an, an actual investigation into it because they think that it is foul play. It's nuts. It is nuts. And it's not a, you know, I, it, it's like a movie. Like somebody needs to write a movie about this because he, it reads as you, as you read through the news articles and as you read through the, the indictment and the court documents and things like that, you get this, you get this feeling that it was, that he really had something like he really had a defense for himself that was solid. Um, and f- for that to be the outcome just doesn't make sense. And I can't, you know, obviously I can't make any accusations or anything or any allusions towards, towards any, anything else with any real knowledge, but that's just so based on the amount of money that he, that he had based on the precedent that it was setting and had he won his case um, from jail, that would have reversed the legal precedent uh, that they had set in the broader um, implications that it has for the tech industry as a whole, not just the video game industry really uh, leads you to wonder. Yeah, that's what well, I'm curious about is what, what has EA done since then? I mean, has anyone else attempted this? No. They just continue to shut down accounts. They, EA hasn't commented on it since his death. They're obviously all over the court documents, but um, yeah, no, complete silence since then. So it's it. This one really kind of threw me threw me for a loop. And on on the technical side, they didn't hack, you know, EA. They didn't. They all they did was modify the security features on their Xbox and use the source code and the source code them using the source code themselves wouldn't and stealing the source code itself, the intellectual property would not have led to the sentence that he was facing. So the source code had to have been leaked by somebody in EA. Yeah. That's just my guess. I mean, uh, there's no other way it gets out. Uh, I'm sure their security features are, you know, rock solid. As good as as good as it can get when it comes to their cybersecurity. 
uh, and the protection of their data and backups and things of that nature. So somebody had to have taken a copy, uh, you know, which ends up being, you know, the biggest threat to any business is uh, safety is their actual employees and their, their practices and safety when they're using their computers. Um, yeah. I mean, what if somebody left, left their desk open and just walked away and then someone else you know, walked up to it, used their PC to make a copy or use their credentials or, you know, who knows? Yeah. Your, your biggest assets walk out of your business with two arms and two legs. The same thing goes with your liabilities. So, you know, when it comes to data leaks and things of that nature, it's it nine times out of ten, it's an employee. And on on previous episodes that you and I have talked about, you know, we as when I started in the business, I I started out as a, as a technician doing installs, and every job, you know, I was a security technician, so I was installing cameras and access control doors and alarm systems and things of that nature. But every time I was, every job, every single job, there would be a group of two or three guys that would follow me around the job site and go, why are they watching us? Why are they putting cameras here? What do they want to, what do they want to see? Why are they spying on us? Right? (laughs) Every single time, Tino, every single time I'd go back to that, that customer a month, two months, three months later to, to do service or something like that, that group of three guys were gone. Oh. And that tells because they me, were part of the problem. <laughs> that tells me that they were part of the problem. Exactly. So it's it's not a it's not a fact that you shouldn't trust your employees. It's a fact that you need to protect yourself. Yep. And it what it comes down to is, is that nobody like it doesn't bother me that I'm on camera, that somebody's watching, that somebody is, I'm out at the mall and there's cameras everywhere and speakers and alarms and things, things like that. If you're not an issue, if you're not doing anything wrong, then they got nothing to do with you. Yeah. And the same thing goes with your, with your network. Like there's, there's another crime that I'm researching right now for a future episode where recently a Tesla employee was was uh, bribed to install a, a malware-infected thumb drive on their workstation at a Tesla Gigafactory in Nevada, and it's it that is the way that you you know that they penetrate high-level networks. Somebody's got to open the door for them. Yeah. So that's why, you know, em- employee monitoring and endpoint protections and device monitoring and all the different features of that of IT security and, and managed service. That's why that's also so important because yep. it will detect immediately that something has been installed on a desktop that isn't supposed to be there. Just the other yeah, day. And I guess in, in EA's, you know, example here from our cybercrime, you know, they, they would have known somebody taken it and, and maybe they just didn't care at the time. Maybe they thought nobody could do anything with it. Uh, but I, I bet they don't make that mistake again. 
Yep. I, I, I would agree with you. And just the other day with that, with that kind of stuff, just as an example of having to protect yourself from yourself, you know, we, we talked about that, that scareware incident on the last episode, mm-hmm. you know, researching another, another client that I was working with. I went to, I went to their website and their website was detected as, as uh, having malicious, malicious source code on there or malicious code mm-hmm. on there. And our system wouldn't even let me go to the website. Didn't even give me the option. Wow. So in a situation where I could have, I could have gotten, gotten got, or I could have been, could have been tied up in a situation that wasn't very good. Um, it protected me from myself and it was a legitimate customer that I'm, you know, interacting with and that we're, we're trying to, trying to bring on with us. Oh, they've got to get that fixed. <laughs> yes, they do. But it also gives me the opportunity to have that kind of discussion with them. Right. Yeah. So these are, you know, you got to keep, you got to pay attention is really what it comes down to. And with, with this situation, um, as, as far as the, as the Anthony Clark situation, it was a super, super sad, unfortunate end to a life that had a lot of potential. The kid would have just as easily taken a job as a game developer for EA had he known that he was doing something illegal. He was, he was a clean kid, clean cut, nice, super smart kid that was loved by his friends and loved by his family and loved by his school. It's, there was just so many things going for this kid that for it to end up that way was, is just so devastating. He was, they, he was described by his, by his buddy as having Mark Zuckerberg level coding skills. Wow. So imagine the impact that somebody like that could have on, on this, on our, on our world. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Just completely lost. So what happened to the other guys? The, the other three co-conspirators got six years of probation. They were, they were uh, charged to pay three, three and a half million dollars in restitution to EA sports and never saw a single day of jail time. So even, you know, make sure that if you're going to do something, make sure you trust who you're doing it with because, or just trust no one. Just don't do anything bad. That's really (laughs) the moral of the story. (laughs) Just, just do, just be a good human and, you know, hopefully it'll work out for you. But anyway, um, what are you? What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's crazy. I think it's, uh, uh, you know, I I play a handful of games that have in-game uh, purchase options, um, and there's always someone, some website that will try to offer, you know, a downgraded version of that. Uh, you pay less and you get more, or something like that. Uh, who knows? Uh, I would never, I've never taken those things and, and thought they were serious. I've thought. This, it's all got to be fake, but to know that there was somebody out there who actually legitimately made it happen, uh, I thought that that's kind of that's kind of nuts in itself. And you know, somebody actually accomplished that, where they were making money, 
you know, sixteen million dollars in a handful of years is amazing. Yeah, it is, and that's the kind of that's the kind of windfall at that age that would give what that would typically get you some notoriety and put you on the on the radar of the broader world as a whole, right? Whether that be through viral posts on social media or by the actual, you know, actual reporting um, by the mainstream media, like that would, that would get attention. I'm reading a, something that you've seeing those, those links. I'm reading a book right now called Spam Nation um, written by Brian Krebs. And in that book, it, it describes spam websites, kind of like what you, what you just described and how these, these coins are sold. And I'm not, you know, all the way finished with the book. I'm I'm about a quarter of the way through or a third of the way through, but it, all of those spam websites have a legitimate person or legitimate company. Typically they're, they're run out of, out of Russia as from, from what I've been, from what my research has, has shown and China are the two main countries. And what it comes down to is, is that, you know, they're getting legitimate sources of whatever it is. And then, but the quality is, is obviously watered down. So the other issue is that once you get involved in that, I mean, we all know the web and the, the tsunami of emails and, and data that is sent to you from those places. So it's just best to be avoided altogether. Yeah. But anyway, I think that just about covers it unless you have any other particular. No, I, I thought it was uh, very captivating. I had never heard about this. Um, I said I was surprised to, to find out that someone actually accomplished that. When was it back in like 2017s when they finally sentenced him, right? Not when the crime happened or when it started. Yeah, 2017 is when the crime really really caught the caught EA's attention and they started the indictment process. That's he had awesome. been doing that for years, so yeah, that's just it's crazy, man. It's a trip, huh? Great. All right, so I'm looking forward to the next one that we do like this. Uh, you had mentioned that you were doing some research, so on our uh, future episode. Um, I like these. They're very informative and uh, you know, just another example of a company not taking simple security measures yeah it's where i'm excited about these these episodes because you know you you hear about murders and you hear about um you you hear about robberies and carjackings and things like that but there are so many things happening on the internet that aren't blatantly obvious and there's such a there's such a massive river coming from from the cyber world in that that aspect that the media can't cover it all and doesn't yeah, there, get the attention that it deserves billions of dollars annually i mean it's it's not to how often it happens and it's not reported or talked about outside of you know maybe locally who knows if it's even reported locally uh, but i was reading uh, couple months ago about a, a medical facility who had been hacked and it ended up costing them like $8 million to get their, 
their data back, which I don't remember the full story and we can dive into it at some point, but you know, it's just $8 million like that, just gone, uh, you know, in losses from losing their data for having their systems shut down. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a lot of money. Yeah. It's not a good situation. And it's without, without the people being aware of it and without people being educated about it, um, they can't change their, their behavior patterns. Right. And a lot of it's that attitude is it'll probably never happen to me. (laughs) Right. And I, I, I said that too. And then that whole scareware thing happened. (laughs) Yeah. So, and that was, you know, obviously that was a close call and, you know, isn't all that dramatic. It was just my, you know, my personal experience with it, but it's, uh, it gets far more devastating. I mean, the, the sad thing is, is that it's not all that expensive to secure your endpoints, secure your devices and your network and not have to worry about, about this. You completely offload all of that to a professional the same way that you would like the same way that you don't go and program your, your camera and your access control system. Like maybe you'll add a couple of users, but when it comes to like actually making things work, you're not doing that on your own. Why would you take the same approach with your, with your network and your cybersecurity? Yep. It doesn't, it, it's, it, it doesn't make any sense, but this is so new that that's why we have this podcast and that's why we're trying to get that word out. Um, yeah. It's, it's a requirement for any business, especially since everyone's connected now. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's going to get interesting. Future episodes, we're going to cover more cyber crimes. We're also going to be dropping episodes in between, um, just talking about different aspects of cybersecurity, different aspects of physical security, just kind of keeping the same, um, the same flow. Um, but we're going to be coming more frequently. We're going to be coming more often. And um, hopefully the, uh, you guys enjoy the content and enjoy the data and enjoy the message because that's really what this is about. It's not about getting us attention or getting our company attention. It's about getting the message out so that there can be more intelligent conversations and with intelligent conversations come intelligent decisions. And, and that, if you guys uh, have some ideas on content or things that you guys would like to hear about or you know, learn more about, but you don't necessarily want to sit in front of a computer and do the research yourself, we'd be happy to take on the subject. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you want to reach me, um, you can find me at linkedin.com slash IN slash Brian's bracket. Um, do you know where can they find you? All right. You can find me at linkedin.com slash slash I N slash Tino Hales spelled H A L E S. Awesome. Well guys, I thank you for listening. We thank you for listening. Reach out to us. Let us know if you have any ideas, if you want to talk some more about cybersecurity, I I, that's, that's my jam. So reach out to me at LinkedIn and uh, let's, let's get a conversation started. And remember, this is where you get to know it so you can own it. Have a great day. Thanks.